Good afternoon. Um, we're delighted to start our new series of Philippians this morning. But before we do that, um, just felt all morning to be prompted by the Spirit, just to understand that there's people maybe who are watching online or here in the room, and you know, often we come off the back of good weeks or indifferent weeks or hard weeks. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're feeling like you're in the midst of one of those difficult seasons of your life, one of those stormy seasons of your life, that God has you here this morning for a reason. God wants to speak to you this morning. And so I would pray that you would just be able to open up your ears to hear what he would have to say to you, that you can come to him this morning. And we're really, really glad that you're here. We're really, I don't know how maybe hard or difficult it's been for you to get to church this morning, given what you're going through, but we're glad you're here. But you know, the Lord is just so glad that you're here and he wants to meet with you this morning. He's going to pray for us so quickly. Father, thank you that you are here. Thank you that it's your desire, God, to meet with your people. And God, you come and meet us where we are. And I pray this morning for every person in this room, for everybody watching online, that you would just speak so clearly into our lives and into our seasons today. We thank you that you're good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we begin our Philippian series. We're going to look at this book throughout November. Um, what I'm going to do at the very start of this series is it's going to take two or three minutes to give you some context so that we can understand more about the original intent of the letter and the original recipient. So you will see these slides behind me. Let's look at the author, the date, and the recipients. First of all, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Christians in Philippi probably from Rome in around AD 62. The theme of the book is really simple. It's to encourage the Philippians to live as citizens of a heavenly city, growing in their commitment to serve one another and to serve God. Jesus is our supreme example of living this way. This letter throughout, and you will notice this over the course of the next four weeks, has a real tone and sense of encouragement. And its purpose Paul wrote to the Philippians from prison. And he had several purposes in mind. I'm going to give you four. Number one, to tell them that Epaphroditus had recovered from a serious illness. Number two, to encourage them in their faith and their walk with God. Three, to assure them that he was in good spirits. And lastly, to thank them for their continued support. So the context of Philippi. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians when he was in prison, most likely in Rome. Philippi was the site of a key military victory by Augustus Caesar, and as a result, it was the first Roman colony. And Philippi was the first present-day European city where Paul established a church. So this place and this group of people, they were important to him, and he wanted to write to them and to encourage them. And today, we're going to look into chapter 1. And chapter 1 has a key theme. And it would be remiss of us not to spend some time today on that key theme. So our title of today's message is Choosing Joy. See, Paul always speaks of joy despite his circumstances because joy is always a choice that we as believers can make. We want to understand how we can choose to live in joy no matter how things look or how things feel. So before we get into the passage, I want to ask a question. Has anyone ever been through a challenging journey or taken on a challenging project? And it's one of those projects or journeys that despite you know there would be bumps along the way, you, there'd be some difficulties along the way, it would be worth it because of the final outcome or where you would get to. 
So I always think of long-haul travel, first of all. If you're on holiday and you're on your way, how much happier and more content are you when you're on your way there, despite the, the pressure and the frustration of long haul, because you get to go somewhere that's worth it in the long run. And projects are like that too. Now, I'm going to put it out there straight away. You see, if you have any DIY projects, don't come to me. Don't. I am not your person for that. I'm the type of person, if I get a flat pack furniture to build, there will be screws and everything left over at the end because it hasn't been built correctly. That's some of my issues. But I want to talk to you about a project this morning that Vicky and I went on a few years ago. Now, when I say a project, it's a bit elaborate for what it was. Now, I am someone, when I plan to do something, I like to have a really detailed plan. I like things to go according to that detailed plan. And when they deviate from that plan, starts to frustrate me. Now, I'm going to take a risk here. I'm going to mention Christmas. Now, I know it's the start of November, so we're, I think we're okay. We maybe get away with it. Um, but in 2020, we had just came out of lockdown. We just, Vicky and I had just been married a few months previously. So we were spending our first Christmas as a married couple, our first Christmas in our house together. Um, we approached the topic of a Christmas tree. Now, I am someone who comes at things from a practical standpoint. So in my head, there was only one option, and that is to purchase a plastic Christmas tree because it's cheaper, it lasts longer, and it's less messy. However, I was talked into or persuaded to get a real Christmas tree. A real Christmas tree. Now, firstly... (laughs) It was quite a journey from when we decided that to where it ended up. Let me show you a picture of the tree that Vicky decided in her wisdom was perfect for our house. (laughs) Now, the whole world and its dog will tell you that that's too big for that house. And you can imagine the difficulty we had from perching this tree to trying to get it into my car. I drove a saloon at that stage. Honestly, the thing was a mess getting in and out of the car. And the car was covered in pine needles for months. And then we couldn't get it through the door. And it took us a a number of hours and maybe some snipping to get through the door. And then, from getting to the door to getting in the living room, we scored our brand new wooden floor. It's devastating, so we had to put a rug on that for three years. Um... But finally, we got it into the corner, put it in its base, and then the base broke. And then we purchased another base, and it broke as well. And then we purchased a third base, and it just about stayed in there. And this was quite a journey. So from the moment of idea to actually having it looking like this, 48 hours. Now it was worth it, wasn't it? Does not look great? I wish that was the end of the story. But it's not. Two days later, I get up in the morning, I go in the living room, and it's just lying there in a heap. Decided to fall over. So we tie it to the radiator so it won't do that. And then a couple of days later, I'm in the kitchen, and I hear a scream from the front room. And I come in, and the tree is just lying on top of Vicky. (laughs) And it kept on falling. It fell on it three times. But every time it fell, it fell on Vicky. I don't know what... (laughs) really had a vendetta against you. <laughs> and then, three days before Christmas, it turned brown and died. So, the moral of this story is, if you're looking to buy a tree, buy a plastic one. <laughs> but, it was quite a journey. And I got frustrated because 
Things didn't go as I planned. Things didn't work out quite as easy as I hoped that they would. And do you know what? Life can be a bit like that sometimes, can't it? Things that we go through in life, journeys and projects that we take on in life can be a little bit like that. Where I wonder if you ever said to yourself or said to someone else or even said to the Lord, yeah, I thought it was going to be easier than this. There are moments in our lives where it's like that. And I used to wonder and pray that God would just show me the, the blueprint for my life. I, I wished and prayed that he would just give me the whole plan, give me the whole thing so I could see. It wouldn't be hard to make decisions then. It wouldn't be hard to, to know what way to go if he just told me everything. He would give me clear goals, a clear pathway from how to get from here to there. I'm glad he didn't. He knows better than that. And growing up in my early 20s, I had a really, really simple plan for my life. And I think it's a plan that most of us would like to have. It's going to come up now. We want to get from here to there as smoothly as we can. No bumps in the road. That's what we want. Just a smooth, steady progression. And that is all that we want. However, it doesn't always work out like that. Sure, it doesn't. Sometimes it can look a little bit different. And God is sovereign in all things and in all moments, but there are times the journey won't be easy. In fact, it looks a little bit more like this. You see that picture? <laughs> Some more bumps in the road. I wonder if he can identify with that pathway. I think a few of us can. And we'll compare the two. They look really, really different. Yet, yeah, do you know in all moments, friends, and in all details, as we look back, we can see God's sovereign hand. And his plans are better than ours. And they may sometimes require some valleys and some difficulties, but his plans are better than our plans. And we can believe that. Now, the Apostle Paul, his life would be even more dramatic, even more strange than that second picture. Even more difficult it had a 180 turn during it. And he went through ups and downs. But despite that, he often writes about having joy, choosing joy and rejoicing in all circumstances. He understands something about joy. And it's a dominant theme throughout this letter. Not only does Paul give instruction on how to have joy, he gives testimony of his own joy. So not only does he talk the talk of joy, he walks the walk. See, let me give you the circumstances. Paul is in prison. He's in a terrible situation. He's in an awful moment. These are difficult circumstances. And yet in verse 18, it says this, in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. What was so strong in Paul's heart, in Paul's life, that he could live triumphantly over his circumstances? And not be pulled down. And I say, whatever it is that he has, I desperately need it. And you do as well. Because we're all too aware that we're subject to circumstances and trials in life. And so many times, it challenges and steals our joy. Now here's an interesting fact about this first chapter in Philippians. There are three words that are repeated more often than any others. The first word is the word Christ. Christ is mentioned 18 times in this chapter. Now, I don't know if there's any other book of the Bible, chapter in the Bible, that mentions the word Christ so much. This is a Christ-centered chapter. 
So if we're to have joy, it must be Christ-centered. The second word that is used repeatedly is the word gospel. The word gospel is used six times in this chapter. It's a lot of times for the word gospel to be used in one chapter. So the secret to joy somehow is wrapped up in Christ and the gospel. And then in chapter one, we see the word joy four times. Let's connect the dots. Christ, gospel, joy. It becomes abundantly clear why Paul had joy. His joy was directly attached to Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's where his joy came from. That's what his joy was all about. And it's not just the knowledge of the gospel, which, by the way, is something to be joyful about, isn't it? Isn't God good? It's not just the knowledge, but he was joyful on the spread of the gospel. The advancement of the gospel. It makes no difference, Paul says, what happens to me as long as Christ is glorified and the gospel is shared with others. That's what brings him joy. And we're going to look at three points today, found in verses 12 to 20. And they'll come up behind me, and if you're following, you can, you can note them down or they're in the app as well. The challenge to joy, there were some real interesting challenges to his joy. Secondly, we're going to see the cause of his joy in verse 18. And finally, in verses 19 and 20, we're going to see his certainty in joy. So let's jump straight into the first point, the challenge to joy. And this is found in verses 12 to 18. There's a challenge to joy, and it's always the same. It's threatening circumstances in our lives. It's difficulties that are surrounding us. It's things that are going on. And that's precisely the type of challenge that Paul faced. Paul faced two particular challenges that would try and attempt to steal his joy. The first and most obvious being the circumstances that he finds himself in. He's in prison. He's in chains. And the second is some idle gossip amongst people regarding his character. Things that are spoken over him. So he's got these two things. The set of circumstances, set of difficult circumstances he finds himself in, and secondly, the things that are spoken over him, the things that have been said about him. Maybe, maybe you can resonate with one of those. Verse 12, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Paul finds himself in prison the very essence of what a difficult set of circumstances look like. He finds himself in bars. He finds himself in chains. In prison because he was preaching the gospel. Now, if you find yourself in prison, what would you be doing? I'll tell you what I would not be doing. I wouldn't be writing to churches trying to encourage them to have joy. I'd be writing to churches saying, you better pray that I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I'd be hoping, dreaming, and praying my way out. But Paul... He's telling them how they can have joy. His circumstances didn't steal his joy. They challenged it, but they didn't steal it. Circumstances or situations that you find yourself in, they can feel at times overwhelming. They can feel very, very real. We've all been there in seasons of our lives, and maybe you're in that now, where our circumstances, our challenge, steal any form of joy or contentment that you might have. And yet here we have Paul in the most horrendous set of circumstances, choosing joy. Something we can learn from that. All of us will face tough seasons, tough trials. 
you may not find yourself in physical chains like Paul was in. But the difficulty or, or storm that you find yourself in can often make it like you feel like you're bound, like you feel like you're imprisoned, like you feel like there's no way out. Maybe we can relate to Paul's circumstances more than we realize. Whilst we aren't physically imprisoned or in chains, often our circumstances can make us feel like that, like there's no way out. But we sang this morning, God breaks every chain and he can do that today. But here he finds himself in this prison cell. He was alone, he was in the darkness, he was bound. But despite all of these things, he knew God was in control. Verse 15, here's the second challenge to Paul's joy. He says this, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Now, let me make this clear. These are preachers of Christ. These are not false teachers. They are preachers who lived in Rome. And in verse 17, they tell, Paul tells us how they've been causing him distress. They've been saying things about him. They've been speaking negatively about him. And the reason is, they're jealous of Paul. See, Paul's gifted. Paul's influential. Paul's powerful. And with Paul in town in Rome, all the believers have their attention drawn to him. So even though he's in prison, he's the talk of the streets. And these preachers are envious. They're jealous. And he's not saying that they need to be saved. He's saying, no, actually, they're preaching Christ. They have the right gospel. They have the right message. They have the right emphasis. They're preaching. They have the right message, but they have the wrong motives. The word envy means jealousy. And it's rooted in ill feeling towards others. In this case, towards Paul. Envy is that feeling of displeasure produced when you see or hear about the advantage that someone else gets. Maybe someone else gets a promotion. Maybe someone else gets to do the thing that you really wanted to do. And rather than being content with where you are and what you have, rather than rejoicing that someone else is elevated, suddenly there are seeds of envy and it begins to bear fruit. Three times we are told that they proclaim Christ. And this speaks how it's possible to have the right message, yet for the heart to be wrong. And Paul goes on and he says, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What they're doing, it's on purpose. It's intentional. They're trying to slander his name. And it's been well said, and you'll have heard this phrase if you've been about church at all, that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own soldiers. And church, we constantly need to guard against that because the enemy's trying his best to get in. We want to be people who celebrate and revel in someone else's success. We want to be people who really cheer each other on. And that means when I win, you win. That means when you win, I win pick on you again. When Kevin wins, we all win because we're all in the same kingdom. We're all going the same way. We need to be people who revel in other success. Just to be careful of that. And this is a challenge to Paul's joy. He's facing this real personal challenge. So what's his response to this distress? What's his response to this these nasty words. What's his response to this set of circumstances he finds himself in? 
Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. And there are similar types of challenges that you or I will face on an ongoing basis. We face challenges to joy, don't we? See, as Christians, we're not adverse or removed from the difficulties of life. We face them. And often, you cannot control some of the things that happen to you. Also, often, you cannot control what others will think or say about you. But do you know what you can control? Your response. Your reaction. You can control that. You can manage your response and your actions in the moment. We want to learn how Paul managed his response in the moment. Moment comes from the word momentum. The way you manage your moment, the way you manage that problem will affect your momentum. How you respond to trouble or insult determines your momentum. Paul talks in Philippians 3, and we'll get there in a few weeks, how we can press on through every set of circumstances, through every trial, through every season. And so our response to circumstances, our response to even what people may say, we press on, we choose joy. That is the response that we can take. Paul talks about this. His joy has been challenged, but not stolen. Because he understands what true joy is and where true joy comes from. It's not the absence of pain or hurt, but it's the presence of a living and active God. And so we're going to look, secondly, the cause of joy in verse 18. He says this, what then? That means, what's my response to this? How should I live? What's my reaction? What really matters? And it's simple, that Christ is proclaimed. He's saying, do you know what it is? This is all about Jesus. It said the gospel goes on, and that is what I will rejoice in. Even when he's thrown into prison, even when people are turning against him, even when his name is being called into question, Paul is rejoicing. The secret of true joy, no matter what, is understanding the true source of joy. See, this world has a real shortage of joy, but it has an overload of fear. It has an overload of worry. It has an overload of discouragement. Even this idea of the pursuit of happiness or pleasure-seeking, it doesn't bring deep and lasting joy. Things in life that bring joy only last for a short time. But we have to understand then the difference between joy and happiness. See, happiness is an emotion. And God never intended for his people to be in an emotional state all of the time. But joy is not an emotion. Joy is a deep conviction. It's something that's in us. It doesn't change based on how things look or how we feel. Biblical joy, that true joy comes from filling that spiritual void that's in all of us with good relationships, but primarily a relationship with Jesus. He puts it this way in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And that fruit includes joy. See, the Bible speaks of joy more often than of being happy. Hap means chance and is the root of several words. Happen, happening, haphazard, hapless. So happiness is a glad feeling based on something happening, something good happening, it's on chance. God wants us to experience happy times. He does. But his greater desire is that you have unconditional joy. Unconditional joy that doesn't change based on how things are going. 
Jesus said that his joy would remain in you and your joy no one will take from you in John 15. So when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, he lists joy as second, preceded only by love. Being second in that list surprises many people who think that joy is spiritually unimportant. It's actually the opposite. We know of some religious people who will even try their best to shun the idea of joy, at least subconsciously, thinking we should instead walk around being somber. A lot of people have the idea out there that Christians are boring and joyless. But I tell you, that is not the case. Isn't that right, church? That's not the case. Joy is a major, major topic in the Bible. In the King James Version, joy appears 158 times. And the word rejoice, which is the verb of joy, appears 198 times. There's great emphasis on joy in the Bible. And joy isn't an option. The Bible repeatedly commands us to rejoice. The most emphatic is in Philippians 4, verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I want to define for you just for a few moments what this biblical joy, this true joy is. You see, it's not a feeling. It's not a mood. It's not an emotion. It's so much more than that. Whilst the world defines joy as a feeling of pleasure or happiness. Joy is more than that, so much more. The world defines joy based on how we are, but true joy is about who we are and who he is, so then whose we are. And it's something that God does in us. Being joyful isn't based on how we are, but who we are. Joy is based on what the Spirit is doing in us not what the world thinks it's doing to us. And joy is a choice based on our understanding of God. And it's not the absence of pain or hurt or difficult circumstances. We will face those. But it's something produced in us the more that we get to know God. Joy is that deep understanding and conviction that God is sovereign. That means he's in control. Even when my circumstances might look like they are out of control, God is still on his throne and he is still Lord of my life and I can take joy even in the difficult moments because that is the case. And joy can be cultivated in difficult moments. If you find yourself in the season of difficulty, I want to challenge you, joy can be cultivated in those moments. God can take those moments in your life that seem to make no sense and use them for his purpose and for your benefit. Choosing joy is based on our understanding of God, that he is in control, and so I can have joy. And that's why it says in James, that really famous chapter one, verse two to four, and this verse, for years, I could never understand how he starts with, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. How can we have joy when there are trials? How can we have joy when things are hard? Verse three, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And there's a key word in there and it's the word produced in verse three. Just as a tree produces fruit, the idea God is producing something in our lives, even through a hard season, even through a hard situation, God is up to something. So whatever season you find yourself in right now, I want to encourage you, God is looking to produce something in you. 
don't miss what he wants to do. And the joy that James talks about is a joy that comes from knowing God's in control. And that's cemented in that second part of verse three. Because you know. Because you know. That's the key phrase. Because you know God. Because you know that he's up to something. Because you know that he's in control. Because you know that he works things for our good. We can choose joy. We can choose joy because he will use this circumstance for your benefit. Paul was able to choose joy despite his pain because he's seen that God was doing something. God was doing something. What they tried to do by putting Paul in prison was pour cold water onto the gospel. They tried to put the fire out, but all it did was fuel the fire. It kept spreading, it kept going because this is the thing. Nothing can stop the gospel. The gospel is unstoppable and today the gospel is still unstoppable. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. It's still on the move. It still works. It's still the answer. The gospel is unstoppable. And he could take joy because despite his circumstances, God actually turned it round and used it for the benefit and the growth of the gospel. And lastly, he had certainty and joy. Verses 19 and 20. Paul's joy was rooted in a deep confidence in the Lord's sovereign purposes for his life. See, I really think you've far less reason to be joyful if you don't hold to the truth of the supreme authority of God in all things. If you don't believe that. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, said this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which I lay my head at night. It is that which brings joy to my heart. That God is overruling the storms of life and using it for great good. How could you have any joy if you thought that everything is random and just happens by chance. There's no joy in that. But there's joy in the fact that there's a sovereign God who's in control. And Paul's joy is rooted in that. And in verse 19 it says this. Paul has joy, he says, for I know. He's not saying I feel. He's not saying I think. This word to know means he, he was certain. He was certain. Certain about his convictions. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. And the this he is talking about is his whole imprisonment. It's his whole set of circumstances. He's awaiting trial before Caesar. All this present suffering that he finds himself in, he says, this will turn for my deliverance. He's thinking to himself, I'm coming out of this prison cell one way or another. Whether it be in my release or it be in my execution. But one way or another, this is going to work out. And it's implied it will work out as God would have it work out. Paul's life has been placed into the open hands of God and he's given himself over to God. And then he says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope. Now this word earnest expectation is a very technical Greek word. I'm not going to take the time to break it down, but it's three words in one. And its idea is to stretch the neck forward. Now it's hard for me, I don't have much of a neck, but you stretch your neck forward. This idea is to stretch the neck towards, looking ahead to the future with concentration, leaning towards the future positively. This earnest expectation of knowing there's a future and hope. Now the word hope is not how people often define the word hope today as this wishful thinking. The word hope is having a certain confidence about the future. 
And that certain confidence is that God holds the future and that our lives will work out because he's in control. And this is the ground for Paul's joy, that God is sovereign, that he's in control, and he's in control of his circumstances. God has the whole situation at hand. And he concludes by saying, whether by life or by death, it's very apparent he doesn't know which way this will turn out. He doesn't know the verdict. He doesn't know what the outcome will be. He will be released from prison to, to serve and to preach for another six years. But at this point, he doesn't know that. He feels like he's on death row. And Paul says, it's in God's hands. I have hope. I have eager expectation. And it can only be that God will work out his perfect plan and sovereign will in my life. This is what gives Paul certainty. And this is what gives him joy. And friends, this morning, this is what can give us joy. We're going to conclude. There's a lot of weight to that message today. But joy is such an important topic. And it's important for us to both know and express as God's people. And he wants you and he wants us to choose joy. And we can do that no matter how it looks or how it feels. I want to challenge you in two ways today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And the first challenge is really simple. It's the, the title of today's message. And that's to choose joy. To choose joy. Sounds simple, but it's a choice that we can make. Not based on how we feel. Not based on how things look. But based on our understanding of a sovereign God who's in control and has good plans for our life. We can choose it. Now, if you feel like you're going through one of those difficult circumstances at the minute, I am not here to diminish that. We all go through stuff. We do. But God's asking us to choose joy because of the conviction that we believe he's in control despite our circumstances, despite how things look. Joy is a choice. How are you going to respond in the moment that you find yourself in? And there's a simple prayer that you can pray at this point. And it's in Psalm 51. The psalmist prays, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And you know, this morning, if you feel like the enemy has tried to steal your joy, or has stolen your joy, if you feel like the world has stolen your joy, you just call out to God and say, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. It's a simple and easy prayer to pray. And you know what, friends? He will do that. Because he is the source of joy. Not the world. Not our circumstances. He is the source of joy. And secondly, I want to encourage you to to look to Jesus. Just as Paul did. Where did he find his joy? It was based on Jesus Christ and the gospel. True joy is based on him. And I would love it today for you to focus in on Jesus. And I, I just had the story in mind found in the Gospels of, of Peter as he was walking on water. He, Peter saw Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and he said, let me come to you. And Peter stepped out of that boat and he began to walk on the water. And it was going fine. See, when he kept his eyes on Jesus, it was all going great. But then he took his eyes off Jesus for a moment and instead he looked at the storm. He looked at the waves surrounded him. And in that moment when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. He began to sink. Maybe that's how you feel today. You look at the circumstances and storms around you 
and you've taken your eye off Jesus and you're beginning to sink, he began to go down. But then Peter prayed this really simple but brilliant prayer. Lord, save me. And the Lord reached out his hand and the next thing we read is they are both in the boat safe. Do you need to refocus on Jesus today? Have you taken your eye off him and onto the storms? Look to Jesus and in this moment you can say as well, Lord save me. And he will stretch out his hand because he's here and he will meet you where you're at and he'll bring you to safety. Just a simple cry, Lord save me. And maybe that's a, a prayer that you need to pray today for the first time. Maybe you've never asked God to save you. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer, Lord save me. Maybe we've talked about how God and only God can bring and be the source of true joy. True joy that you cannot find in any other place, in any other person, in any other thing. And maybe you're hearing this and you realize that you need to place your trust in the sovereign God. I tell you, he's everything that you need. So why don't we stand? And you can begin to respond how you feel God leading you. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer. And maybe you will join with me. And if this is something you want to pray for the first time or to recommit your life to God, you can pray this with me. And then just after, I'm going to take a walk down and walk out the back. And if you have prayed this prayer, I want you to follow me out. And we would love just to connect with you and give you some literature and help you on this journey. But let me pray this prayer. So pray it along with me. Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I need and I want your forgiveness. I recognize that your mercy and grace is a gift you offer me because of your great love, not based on what I've done. Lord, save me. Cleanse me, make me your child and give me that true joy that's only found in you. And by faith, I receive you into my heart as Lord and Savior of my life. Help me live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And if you've prayed that prayer, I'm not going to ask this morning for a show of hands. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I will ask that this is a moment for you to respond as well. I'm going to walk to the back and walk outside so no one else will see you. Everyone else will be worshiping. But why don't you follow me out and we'll help you along this journey.